Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is brought to you by WrestleRumble. Hit them up at WrestleRumble.com for your chance to win $500, classic artwork, and much more. For more info on how you can win and what you need to do to win, listen on later on in the show. We'll have info for you. Also, you can check them out on Twitter at WrestleRumble. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Wooker Man. Come on, people, my brothers and sisters. Don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you, thank you. Hear me, fear me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hollywood face, that's what I'm going to see. Brutus Tavada putting Burton to sleep. He, wait a minute. Pass. Whoa. Oh, pass. Clobbering. You know what they say, McMahon. Payback is tough, don't they? Or in my words in Predator, it's payback time. Whoa, look at that. Wait a minute, what's he have in his hand? He's got that spur. You don't think that he's going to... What is outlaw Ron Pass going to do with that spur? Beefcake is helpless. What... He's waking away on the forehead. Down in the eye area. I think we can't. What's he doing with that spur? Ooh. Bass. Oh, no. He's, he's cutting. That's what he's done. This is vicious, McMahon. Vicious. Ron Bass holding that spur high for all to see. And he's used it on the head. Our Brutus Beefcake now back with Miss Pepsi. Choking more. Bass, oh, look at that beefcake. It's just being dragged around the ring like a, like a carcass of some kind. Outlaw Ron Bass. Medical attention is on its way. Beefcake has never had anything like this ever happen to him in his career. That's definitely the World Wrestling Federation. That's definitely worse than any haircut, I'll tell you that. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by WrestleRumble.com. Head on over to WrestleRumble.com and take part and get some entries into the TLC Pick'em, which will be opening up on Thursday, December 1st, and will be taking place the night of TLC on December 4th. Again, get on over to WrestleRumble.com, fill out a bracket, and use your wrestling knowledge for a possibility of winning not only a couple uh, couple of bucks there, but also some very unique prizes. So stay tuned in just a little bit as John Paz is going to give us all the information that we need to get you some money, courtesy of WrestleRumble.com. And if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my partner, the one and only John Paz. And John, today on the show, we are joined by the outlaw, 
Ron Bass, an absolute legend of professional wrestling. The outlaw Ron Bass, who's been in every territory you can think of. He's been down in Florida. He's been up in New York with the World Wrestling Federation. He's been in Georgia. He's been over in Japan, and he's got so many great stories to tell, so many great feuds to relive. And John, as I welcome you in here, when we talk about the outlaw, when we talk about the career of Ron Bass, a couple names come to mind, but he is a no doubt one-of-a-kind tough guy and an absolute original in a class by himself in the annals of pro wrestling history. Yes, Chad, back here again at the two-man power trip of wrestling, and we have a great one for you today. It is the legend, the cowboy, the outlaw, Ron Bass, and this is a real fun one and a little bit of a twist on it because when you think of Ron Bass and you think of the tough guy he is and the tough guy nature that he brings and you think of that uh, classic nature of the uh, you know the gimmick that he has the cowboy the outlaw whatever you want to call him you just think that he's going to be a little bit ornery he's going to be a little bit rough you know rough and tumble kind of guy but we got a tremendous interview not what we thought we were going to get we thought he might be a little bit ornery we've had some other guys on before where you know you kind of can't tell which way which direction they're going to go but boy from the very beginning of the interview he was just on fire just awesome such a nice friendly dude had the chance to meet him not that long ago in philly also a tremendously nice guy really really cool and obviously a legend in the business and this is a fun one to put out and sometimes you know you put out episodes with different guys whether they be current or not but I really look forward to these old school guys guys like Bass that really lived the gimmick I mean you could say lived the gimmick or you could say it wasn't really a gimmick at all I mean he was a legit tough guy and that's who he was he was the outlaw he was the cowboy you know he was that gimmick so it's not really per se a gimmick he really was that person that he was portraying so I love that and I love that kind of guy who's just old school hard-nosed tough ass legit badass those kind of guys so i mean you always get some fun wacky great stories out of them i love digging deep and going into the florida territory obviously he had a long run there in florida he had a great run we had some great dusty stories we had some great blackjack mulligan stories and obviously we had some great stories about barry windham as well so i mean this is a really fun one and if you're a fan of old school wrestling if you remember his run in the wwf if you remember his run big time run in the nwa or if you remember his run in all japan pro wrestling you're gonna absolutely love this one yeah, I would think for people like us who were kids growing up in the uh, mid to late 80s era and when he hit the WWF, you know, you didn't know what to really do with him because he was such a different guy, he was such a different character, and it was very cartoony in the WWF. So that tough guy persona, that authentic, you know, gritty cowboy, you know, we didn't really get it as kids, but you get to grow and appreciate that as you get older. And you get to uh, look more into his career and you look down in Florida and you see all the amazing stuff that he did with Blackjack and you see the amazing stuff he did with Dusty. And even though we kind of touch on a little bit of the WWF stuff with Brutus Beefcake, it's nothing that identifies his career whatsoever. And a lot of people think that that WWF run is really, you know, somewhat the pinnacle because that's what you're remembered for. But for that hardcore fan, you definitely remember Ron Bass as a gritty tough guy. And a guy who really just is, he he lived the gimmick, he was the gimmick, and, uh, you know, those cartoony characters, he stood out as not being one of them. And I think that that's the really cool, unique thing about Ron Bass. But, John, when we think about his feuds, and, like, we named a couple here, what are some of the feuds that stand out to you? And is that gritty, tough guy persona something that we're just going to completely link to the career of Ron Bass uh, when we pull him out of the history books and we think about his storied career? Yeah, Chad, you know, I, I really don't want to you know, beat a dead horse, but his reputation as the tough guy, I mean, he obviously precedes itself, and he really was a legit tough guy. And then you think of when the NWA did that Brass Knuckles champion gimmick that fit right in with him, and obviously he was the former NWA Brass Knuckles champion. So it just fit right in with him, his character, kind of who he was, and I really I liked that gimmick. That was a cool uh, little a little tie-in by the NWA, doing those kind of real, quote-unquote, real fights in, in there and throwing a little bit of different flavor out there that you hadn't really seen up until that point which was really cool but when you talk about bass i kind of mentioned before some of the guys 
in Florida that he feuded with. There's some great stories. But just think about his classic feuds. I mean, you think about Blackjack Mulligan. You think about some matches with Ricky Steamboat or Magnum TA. But you really think about huge feud down there in Florida with Barry Window. I mean, this is stuff if you can find it on YouTube or wherever you can go find it. Seek it out. Definitely search some uh, Ron Bass versus Barry Windham stuff. A lot of fun stuff. A lot of hard-nosed, tough matches, but great matches. Uh, Loser Leaves Town match. Legendary stuff in the making down there in Florida for sure. Obviously, uh, Blackjack Mulligan, who is Barry Windham's father. Ron Bass had a feud with him as well down there. But I'm sure a lot of... Um, People uh, our age would think of his run in the WWF. Obviously, he had a couple-year run there. Highly, highly remembered for his big-time feud, classic feud, if you will, with Brutus the Barber Beefcake. And that feud actually lasted quite a while. It was, you know, the the quote-unquote mid-card feud. But it always seemed to be, you know, had a level of importance in the show, for sure. And obviously, the hair versus hair match is something that so many people are going to remember about Ron Bass and how Brutus the Barber Beefcake, you know, shaved his head and cut his hair and everything else, which so many people remember from his WWF run and so many people, I'm sure, bring up to him, you know, when they meet him and stuff, I'm sure they always are talking about that Brutus Beefcake feud and him losing his hair, but uh, we definitely go into that in great detail. We also do talk about, and I kind of mentioned it a little bit before, his All Japan Pro Wrestling run. Obviously, he had a great run there, former tag champ with Stan the Man, Stan the Lariat Hansen. We get in some some great All Japan stories. You know how much we love All Japan on this show, and, and those guys in that territory at that time, which was possibly the greatest roster of talent anywhere ever i mean just had so many legendary names so many legendary guys and we get some great all japan stories from ron bass obviously talking hansen we talk brody we talk jumbo we talk tenru we talk giant baba so this is a, a great stroll down memory lane talking everything ron bass i mean i said before we go from a to z with him we talk florida we talk nwa we talk wwf and of course we talk all Japan. So this is a great one. And this is one from the vault that I just uh, sat there and smiled. I was like, this is an awesome check mark off the list that we got to have on the cowboy, the outlaw himself, Ron Bass. The outlaw Ron Bass is an absolute legend. The outlaw Ron Bass is an absolute and no doubt one of a kind cowboy. And this is going to fly by for you because he is such a great storyteller and has so much fun reliving some great moments from his career. And even though we did record this one over the summer, you never know who's going to pop out of that two-man power trip of Wrestling Vault. So as always, stay tuned. And John, we teased it earlier. It's time to tell the listeners of the two-man power trip here how they could possibly win $500 by taking part in Wrestle Rumble's TLC Pick'em. Now, before you hit them with the two-man power trip of wrestling business and you get it over to Ron Bass, give us all the information we've been waiting to hear and tell us everything there is about Wrestle Rumble and how we can win that mad money courtesy of WrestleRumble.com. Yes, today's episode is brought to you by Wrestle Rumble. Check them out at WrestleRumble.com for your chance to win $500 and some classic wrestling artwork by artist John Toomey. Now, what do you need to do to win that $500? Go to WrestleRumble.com and do their TLC Pick'em. Yes, this Sunday, live on pay-per-view and also on the WWE Network, is TLC, big-time show for the WWE, headlined by AJ Styles versus Dean Ambrose. Now, what you need to do for WrestleRumble is head over to the site and do a Pick'em style Who's going to win AJ Styles versus Dean Ambrose? Who's going to win Becky Lynch versus Alexa Bliss? And so on and so forth. There's going to be some separate questions, which I absolutely love. To kind of make uh, make or break some ties, if you will. Will AJ Styles hit the Styles Clash? And will Dean Ambrose kick out? Um, who's going to be the first one to touch the first rung of the ladder? Stuff like that. Stuff where there's no way you can have a tie and it's done by a great point system. I love it. It's so innovative. It's so cool. And to be honest, Chad, I know we've done it a million times where we've done a little pick them amongst ourselves, you know, basically for a few bucks or for no money or, or whatever. But this is awesome because you get a chance to not only pick your winners, kind of watch your favorite matches, watch your, watch your favorite wrestlers, but also get a chance to win some artwork and you get a chance to win $500 for the first place winner. 
Again, that is go to WrestleRumble.com or hit them up on Twitter at WrestleRumble for your chance to win that $500. All you got to do is get your TLC picks in on time and make sure they're accurate. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, please subscribe to us on iTunes. While you're on iTunes, check out the feed for past legendary episodes featuring the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, Bruno Sammartino, Jesse the Body Ventura, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, WWE Lead Attorney, Jerry McDivitt, the phenomenal AJ Styles, the Demon Kane, Dean Ambrose, and so many more. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. Also, while you're surfing the web, go to wrestlinginc.com. Yes, that is wrestlinginc.com, your number one news source for professional wrestling and sports entertainment. Also, please check out prowrestlingtees.com. Yes, that is prowrestlingtees.com for your t-shirt needs featuring stores like our own store the two-man power trip of wrestling tito santana coco beware magnum ta paul orndorff kevin thorne and buff bagwell also for you android users out there check us out on player fm and now without any further ado a former nwa national heavyweight champion, a former NWA television champion, a former NWA Florida heavyweight champion, you may know him as the Cowboy or the Outlaw. Well, he is Ron Bass. Please enjoy. Alright, well, joining us on the line tonight is professional wrestling legend, You've known him as an outlaw, you've known him as a cowboy, but he's also a former NWA national and television champion, as well as an NWA Florida heavyweight champion. He is the one and only Ron Bass. Thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip of wrestling. All right, glad to be here, guys. Uh, we're so thrilled to have you. You're definitely you're one of those guests that we just love to dig deep into that brain of yours and get into some of these uh, classic moments that you had in your career, because there's so many to choose from and it's hard to even kind of start where do, where do we pick but you know when I'm thinking about the research I love to do for the interviews and I'm looking back at your career your career tied into a guest that has a lot of meaning to the two-man power trip and that's the American dream Dusty Rhodes getting, getting ready for this interview I was watching the epic turn on Dusty Rhodes and I watched something that in this day and age you would never see and that was the rebroadcast of the match from both your perspective and from Dusty's perspective. But just to see that night and the, the way the crowd turned on you after you went after Dusty, what is that? what did that mean to you to actually get that shot against Dusty in Florida and go after him one-on-one -on -one with your history? Well, that is one of the uh, biggest events that, that happened in my career. And uh, Dusty was, was a legend just about everywhere he ever went. And... Uh, you know, he, he he was the epitome of, of what we used to call baby faces. And people looked up to him, making him heroes. And uh, I was just fortunate enough to have an opportunity to, to, to be there. And I saw an opportunity to... Uh, I was first when I went into the Florida Territory. I, I was a, a a face. I was a baby face. And I really wasn't happy in that role. Uh, I, I never have been. I always wanted... I won't tell you how I feel about it. I don't care what you think is, is what I always was. And well, it was time for me to make a change and better than against Dusty. And it turned out to be probably one of the biggest things that ever happened down here in Florida. I mean, talking about getting, <laughs> I've had so much beer thrown on me and cokes and hollering and screaming and cussing and people trying to punch me and everything else that it, it, it really, it really turned a big picture down here. And it's the relationship with Dusty, the history with Dusty, that that storyline was built off of. And his just begging to you, like, why? Why did you do this to me? We're friends. You know, that helped that moment and the crowd just go crazy. But talk about the history with Dusty and how, you you know, you two, you guys were, uh, you were a great tandem. But obviously, you know, good friends make great enemies. Uh, Dusty and I went way back. Uh, 
was the first actual territory that we worked together any kind of distance at all. Uh, we had been in different territories. He'd come in and support me on different different things because we had a similar history background, you know, the boots, the hats, and all this. And I'd get in trouble somewhere, and I'd say, hey, Dust, or he'd send for me. And, and so we always, you know, we, we had a lot of history going all the way through back. And then, I see, in Florida, he was... <laughs> He, he, you know, he, he was he, he was wrestling in Florida, and he says, "Won't you come on down here, to Florida?" And, and so uh, I said, "You know what? I think I'm gonna make a shot." So I came down here, and uh, I was here about a year as Dusty's teammate, supporting him, and a lot of battles with Big John Stud, Angelo Mosca, uh, Martin One, or uh, you know, Kevin Sullivan, all those guys. Had a nice big run, but it was time to do something else, and that's what happened. And it's funny you say that you like playing the heel more because obviously, you know, when I think about you and I think about what you did in your career, I think about you as a heel because you just it seemed like a natural heel to me with that character. But as a babyface, still in the state of Florida in the early '80s, it still was a great fit for the time, and especially guys like Big John Stud to be a foil, a big brooding heel. You being a big brooding babyface. Those arm wrestling matches could get a little tense, but talk about being... Oh, I love that. It's one of my... I'm telling you, I love the Florida Territory and that arm wrestling contest, uh, arm wrestling left-handed of all all things. Being a babyface and wrestling those big guys, it's obviously, it's a switch, but did you find anything that you could work with in being a babyface and being, you know, that rough and tough kind of one instead of just, you know, white meat? if, 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 if you're good at what you do, people are going to like you or they're going to hate you. And a lot of times you stay in a place long enough, I don't care how bad that you try to be, people are going to start liking you because you win. They're going to make you a face. And so I wasn't only just a uh, baby face here. Uh, I was one uh, up in the Carolinas for a while up through there. I had some pretty good runs. Uh, a turn up in the Portland Territory when I was up there. Uh, and Lonnie Maine become partners up there against uh, Buddy Rose and uh, one of the sheep herders back then. They're called the Bushwhackers now. So, uh, you know, I've, I've been on both sides of the fence. And uh, if, you, if, if you know what you're doing in the ring, you can do both sides. And uh, if it's in your heart, you know, you, you can get out there and do what you got to do. And uh, uh, so, like I say, I always like being the, the, the heel because you don't have to really care what fans think. If you're a face, you got to kind of be nice to them. And, you know, you're out, you know, they can be a real pain in the butt coming on all this <laughs> and that. The hill, you can just tell them to go pound sand. It's no big deal. So, uh, you know, that, it, it has pluses and it has minuses. I'm talking about Big John Stud in that arm wrestling contest. What are some of your memories of uh, Big John Stud, a guy who doesn't really get a lot of do anymore? Uh, you know, he's kind of uh, faded from the current fan landscape, but yeah, memories yeah, of Big John. I'll tell you a funny story about Big John. Uh, we were uh, when they, the Atlanta territory first expanded, went nationwide. You know, out of the Channel 17 out of Atlanta, it was me and him, Kevin Sullivan, and. Uh, that superstar with a four heel team there, and and we were up in Charleston, West Virginia, and uh, <laughs> John, you know, he's a, he's a big guy, he's a strong guy. Don't get me wrong. Well, he he always liked to try to get in competition with me on on weightlifting, and I could just blow him away on any of it. And uh, when Sullivan knew that, and Sullivan's one of these guys. If he gets a you open the door, he's going to come in on it big time. So we were up in Charleston, West Virginia. We went to the gym there, and. Uh, Kevin says, hey, Stud, you going to beat Bash today on the bench? He said, yeah, I'm going to beat him. So, said, okay, come on, John, let's go. So we get in there, and I was one of these guys. His form was horrible, but he could still do a lot of weight. So we got going. You know, he was at 135. It didn't look like he's going to get it up. So uh, we got on up, warmed up, and got up. And I did the first one at 405, and I did four or five reps. And John got out. He did a couple. And, you know, like I said, again, it looks like he just barely could get it up. I went up to 455, and John come down, and, and um, he kept talking and kept talking. I said, well, you're wasting your time. So I went up to 495, and I did one. And John said, I'm going to go back down 455 do my first. I said, okay. So John, he got laid down there, and he started to take that bench down. I don't know if you ever been trying to cut up a chicken. If you've ever heard when they pull them apart, that skin ripping. John started taking that bench down. You hear it suddenly go, crap. 
tore his back, and I mean, it was the doggone sound you ever heard, man. He come up, he couldn't even move his left arm. So during that jail, Sullivan had just egged him on so bad that John was trying too hard and wound up hurting himself. And uh, it's funny, and it wasn't because John didn't get hurt. But it was, it was a good day, good story. <laughs> well, at least it wasn't you, you know, tearing your back. There you go. Didn't hurt. Yeah, right. You know, staying in Florida can't help think about your feud with Barry Windham. Obviously, a can't-miss guy at that point, kind of an up-and-comer. Probably a future NWA champ. What are your thoughts on Barry? Barry Windham was the best ring technician I was ever in the ring with. I mean, he had it all. He had the looks. He had the size. He had the speed. He had the technique. Uh, Windham was, was, was uh, I mean, he, 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 was, he was a world-class wrestler. I mean, he... He was as good as you get. Uh, there's, there's not that many people up there on the level that he was at that he could do it all. Uh, the technician he was, and uh, the only one close I've seen here lately is uh, is Barry Orton. Of uh, uh, Barry, yeah, Barry Orton, yeah. But uh, uh, he, he was, he was just awesome. You know, people don't realize that you know Blackjack, his dad. Barry is so thin. <laughs> Jack would have the same age. Jack wasn't big like that till he got older. And you had Kendall, Barry's brother, coming along. He was tall, but he was real thin. You ought to see them both today. They're big old boys, man. <laughs> but Barry Wyndham, he had it all. And uh, the only weakness he had it all was probably his interview. He, he, he really couldn't turn it loose like some of the other guys did. But if he got in the ring, he could bury him. He, he was awesome has had a very, very memorable few down there, and then even a I guess loser leaves gonna... town. Huh? A very memorable feud, and then you know, a loser leaves town match you had against Barry. Did you enjoy you know that feud just because he's such a good worker, and then they threw in you know the little bit of a twist there with the Yellow Dog storyline as well? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, it, it, was, it, it was definitely, you know, it was drawn money. People were talking about it, and... Uh, uh, so it, it was just logical conclusion to come out. Let's do something different. If I lost, I'd have probably come back as something. He lost, he come back as y'all dog. And again, people weren't fooled. They didn't know who exactly Barry was. <laughs> 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 Excuse me. So we were just off and at it again. And after a while, people didn't expect us to go out there and wrestle. They just wanted us to do a bare, bare knuckle ball. Speaking of Barry Knuckles, former uh, Brass Knuckles champion, you know, in your own right uh, for the NWA, right? What, what was Blackjack Mulligan's kind of um, you know role in, in your career? Was he uh, a mentor at all to you? Because he was huge, huge down there in Florida. Yeah, he he was huge too. And uh, I come along a little bit later. I didn't know him as well as I did Barry because you know I'd met Barry a long time before, and then Jack come in later. Jack had been around for a long time already, and you know Jack was a legend already, and and doing doing great. And uh, Jack was one of these guys; he either liked you or he didn't. We <laughs> 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 were in trouble. <laughs> so but he was one of these guys that you know he hit punch you now and ask questions later if you know what I mean. He had a temper on him, and he 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 was bad to the bone. So Mulligan, you know. People don't realize who that's uh, about six seven, six eight, three hundred and thirty pounds. He was a big old boy, man. He was strong, and uh, he he would, may not be as good in the ring as Barry was, but he was a lot better on the mic. And believe it or not, that mic gets you over sometimes a lot more than what happens in the ring. That could definitely be the case in, in a lot of different scenarios, especially in wrestling. It's great interviews and stuff, but you know, we're talking about Jack Mulligan, talking about big guys and, and guys that are. Great to work with, and I can't help but think of you in Japan and your great run there, and your great run with Stan the Lariat Hanson. What was it like <laughs> working with Stan the Man? Uh, I just talked to Stan about two days ago. Stan Hanson, uh, him and I, and, and and Frank Goodish or Bruiser Brody, we all got started about similar time, and uh, we talked about when we got started, the travels and the things we did, and owners we have to used to have to cut just to make a living, you know, because wasn't doing that well when we first started you know you were at the bottom of the card and it, it was tough going but uh them guys got a big push in japan and i was staying over here a little bit and standing and i said hey ron let's go so every, every march and april i'd go over there man stan would be teammates over there and brody was working with a different promotion we worked for baba and brody was working for anoki Whenever we were in there and you know in similar ties we'd always meet brody somewhere and we'd go out and pretty good time but 
Uh, Stan Hansen, <laughs> I used to laugh at that son of a guy. He'd get that ring, say, tag me back, I'm tired, I'm tired. No sooner I get the ring, he'd tag me back in. That son of a guy, he, 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 he was blown up, but he'd go another 30 minutes. They just amazed me how he could do that. They done it every time, and uh, uh, he couldn't see. His, his vision is, is is not that good, and poor old Stan would have to say, point me in the right direction sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Hanson was a great guy, and uh, you know, here he is, a big old 300-pounder, but we we used to like to make all the tours of all the uh, palaces and a lot of the historical sites over there. A lot of it's wood. If you go in a wood building, what you got to look out for is wasps. And Earl Stan is terribly allergic to them. He told me several times, he says, Ron, if we get in here and I get stung or something, he says, I've got a kit in my pocket. You better stick me or you'll bury me. And I said, okay. So where he went, he had one of those things with him. And I always thought a big old 300-pounder man like that and a little wasp take him out. He's going to show you how I'll <laughs> sometimes, you know. Oh, yeah. Very true. And you and Stan the Man, the former tag champs over there, and you guys were kind of... Rough shot. Did you love your time in Japan, especially hanging out with Stan and Brody? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the guys, you know, it's it's a limit, limit, you know, it's a different, you know, it's a different world, different culture. And don't get me wrong, I was always glad to get off that plane coming back home. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But if you're there, you always gotta, you gotta make the best of what you got. And the Japanese, you know, they uh, they pride themselves on being host. You know what I mean? You'd get some of these guys that. We met a guy over there. He was a, a jeweler. He was in the pearl business, and we called him Joe the Pearl Man. And was in Tokyo. He always wanted to take us out and, and see us and all this stuff. And the more he could do for you, the better off he'd do. You know, it was just it was it was it was faces what they called it. He he was having good faces what it was. And so we learned the ins and outs over there, and and uh, we learned who to talk to, who to take care of you, where to go to eat. And, and uh, it, it was just great. And uh, <laughs> I'll tell you some understories here. You, over there, a lot of the promotions in different places over there, were run, they were actually run by the underworld over there, the, the, the gangsters, I guess you could say. And, and those people over there, it's funny. You're a member of the mob or whatever, and you mess up, they take off a joint off your finger at your punishment. They'll these guys would be sitting there talking to them. They have two foot, three fingers on each hand, <laughs> rest of them are <laughs> So it, it, but he already out on the street, walking down the street, and the, the older guys, the, the main bosses in the back, the men standing, and the young guys in front just pushing people out of the way. <laughs> it was just amazing how uh, they they got by with all that stuff. But, it, you know, you you learn to adapt, and uh, and uh, like I say, we'd, the guys would go over there, they'd lose weight, and stand out, gain weight. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good time. It was a great time. Do you have any good Bruiser Brody stories that maybe you know, no one's heard before? Well, the best one I got with Bruiser is it involves me really bad, but I shouldn't brag about it. But Stan had just come in from town. He said, hey, Brody's over at the other hotel. Let's go meet him. So we go there and sit around. We have us a couple of knockbacks and things. And he said, let's go get some doodles. I said, where at? And he said, well, there's a little stand down. So we go down there and we start walking by and we hear a karaoke singing. And, you know, karaoke in Japan happened a long time before it did here. We looked inside, and there was Harley Race and Hector Guerrero. And Hector was on the mic singing. And we go in this little bar, and Harley Race, man, that son of a gun, <laughs> he got us drinking tequila. That night, I, you know, I got into it, and, boy, I got back to the room. I was so drunk. And I, I knew I should have did the old finger down the throat and get rid of it, but I didn't. And the next morning, Stan came and said, hey, we got to go. I told him, screw it, I ain't going. <laughs> Just leave me here. I was, boy, I was out of it. Dan came into the room there and opened the window, and he's standing at the bathroom door, and I couldn't get to the bathroom. I run to the window over there. They still raise the windows up these big hotels, and, boy, I just projectile puked all over that street. You ought to seen those little Japanese running down below. But it was, uh, that was one of the best ones I've ever been around Frank, uh, I never met Frank's wife, and I just talked to her a couple of days ago on the Internet and uh, just connected with her, and uh, uh, she just told me it was 28 years now that since Brody's been gone, man. It just time flies or what? Oh, yeah. Crazy how fast time has uh, kind of come and gone. And it's just, what do you think, you know, about your time in Japan and obviously the great times with Brody? 
had some great wars over there as well with Giant Baba, Tenru, Jumbo. Like really, you know, cherished those matches in Japan. Were they a little bit more stiff than they were here in the states? Well, not really. Uh, the only difference over there is you could get away with a lot more. I mean, over here, you know, people are so so crazy that you gotta have all the police around you for the keep the people away from you, so you don't have to knock anybody out over there, buddy. <laughs> Just <laughs> flatten them if you want to, and then um, I saw that happen a lot of times, but. The Japanese people didn't really get excited like the American people do. You know, they're more polite. They'll, they'll clap for you when you're announced. They don't really get involved in hollering and screaming and, and, and all that like they do here. It's a lot more, uh, you know, your, your adrenaline don't get as heavy as it does here and go over there. So it, you got to be in better shape because <laughs> that adrenaline makes a big deal on you. And uh, you get going out of there and, you know, if you can hear a pin drop, you say, what the hell? What am I doing wrong? You know, if you have to build it over here and you can hear a pin drop, <laughs> something's wrong. People ain't liking what they're seeing. In Japan, it was totally different. You know, they they kind of respect you. They'll clap and stuff like that. That was a big difference. It's just the crowd noise, the crowd participation. And uh, the, the, the Japanese wrestlers were all very good time. They were real good technique guys. If you get them off their game, they were easy to beat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then you talk about the, you know, the crowds, you talk about that electricity of Japan. And I think 1980s in Japan, you know, was pretty much, um, that was like, it's almost like the, some, something of mythical proportions because there were so many great guys there. And you think about some of the big names that ended up coming back to the States. One guy who made, obviously, a huge mark in the States was Hulk Hogan, and he was in the WWF. Now, when you finally got to the WWF, was that like the culmination of where you wanted to bring your career? Because your character, I think, as a heel in the WWF, was definitely, uh, it was better suited for that Hogan, you know, run, rather than just where they kind of had you. But was that like where you wanted to end your career, pretty much, getting to the WWF? Playing, uh mentioned blackjack a minute ago and uh, i don't want to you know I, I i love blackjack but again blackjack cost me a lot of money up there uh we're just fixing to do a big deal me and jack uh we're bringing in black bart's wife uh her name was bonnie and she was going to be my manager she was you know she could be pretty rough she could chew tobacco with me in the whole nine yards and we had all kind of plans we're going to do with them I guess her, 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 me and me and her and Jack. Jack was up there one night, and one of the promoters up there, one of the bookers for events, called him fat. Pissed Jack off so bad, he was gone the next day, and we didn't see him again. Man, all the plans and everything we had got done just went right down the door. He's apologized to me several times since then because he knows it cost us both a lot of money. It just goes to show you with Jack, he <laughs> got something in his head. Look out, buddy wasn't going to happen. So that's more or less what happened to me out there. But see, and yeah, and that was definitely um, the, you know, I guess what was that, about 1987 where that happened. And then I think where you really saw the takeoff was the feud you had with Brutus the Barber Beefcake. And we just talked to Brutus Beefcake not too long ago. And as a funny tie-in to your, your interview and his interview, is the WWE still ranks the blading or the cutting that you did at Brutus the Barber Beefcake as one of their top 10 most vicious moments that they've ever had in the history of the company. And that's got to be saying something, you know, 25 years later, basically. It was a time it just wasn't happening up there, you know. And I was surprised they did it, and uh, and it worked out great. And uh, never really found out really who got against that at the end because somebody did that had some say. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And they cut it a lot shorter than it should have been. We could have worked that thing for a year up there because shit, you're in a different town. You're in a different state every night, you know. <laughs> it ain't like you run the same town every night. We could have got a lot more mileage out of that one, and it, it worked out well. And uh, Beefcake, uh, I knew him first time I met him. Him and Hogan, they were tearing Eddie Boulder up in menace in the Tennessee territory, and we're just getting started. And a bunch of matches with them up there, and a lot of teaching and training. And so I'd known him for a long time from the from the beginning, and it, it was a good run for us. And uh, uh, he, he he he's a good guy. Definitely culminated in the uh, the infamous hair versus hair match where uh, Baldy ended up coming out of it. But you know that's uh, that was one of the highest rated Saturday Night Main events that they had had 
at that point. But you talk about Hogan and you talk about Beefcake and seeing them early in their careers. Did you think that Hogan was going to ascend to what he became? And obviously Beefcake was along the ride, you know, for much of the 1980s, 1990s with the Hulk and seeing them in that Tennessee territory through the WWF. Did you see Hogan ascending to that level? I mean, you could see he, he, Mike, he was, you know, there again, we were talking about that many ago. Is, is, is that how you put yourself over how you present yourself? And I don't know where Hogan learned it. He had it, man, and he had the looks. I mean, you got a 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six guy, weighed 315, 20 pounds at the time, and talk. The only drawback he ever had was his hair. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he was bald for the first time that I met him, but, you know, we wore the bandana, nobody knew that, and uh, he, he was he was the total package, and, uh, you know, history speaks for itself. And you wore the cowboy hat, and we didn't get a chance to ask it, but was that something you minded doing, shaving your head there to culminate that feud? Uh, it, you know, it wasn't the first time I've ever done it. And uh, one of the, you used to talk about that Saturday Night Live. That's one of the highest paid <laughs> deals I ever had because I got residuals off that Saturday Night Live for a long time and got paid through the, the New York office. I also got paid through Saturday Night Live. So uh, it was a pretty good, it was a pretty lucrative deal for us. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And that WWF roster at the time is kind of packed with guys that were familiar faces to you because you even had a, a Ronnie Garvin was there at the time, Greg Valentine, you know, a Tito Santana, like a lot of great ring veterans. And I think the WWF is no more for the cartoony aspect of it. But did you like getting in there and bringing Miss Betsy along for the ride with that group of guys that was in the WWF? Those guys I was, you know, you forgot about Piper. Me and Piper were together first time out in L.A., so him and I go back ever since 77 back there, and he was just more or less getting started. And, you know, like I say, uh, had a lot of, you had a lot of talent up there. And talent that was there is not like talent today. These guys, they honed their, 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 their skill in different smaller territories. You remember WWE had to take over like it has now. And they had different areas that they had had experience where every area has its own likes and dislikes and so you could be ring savvy and you know the business in and out and uh, it was a lot better teacher easier teacher nowadays they got to go out there and there's one place to learn it's right out there in front of everybody they get better and get better and get better they don't have that experience that background that so many of us had yeah obviously that territory system to breed and bred the guys coming through the ranks is a lot different and it much better might we all say but you know, for you, it was interesting that all those guys had a manager at that point. You did not. But do you think that Vince was uh, into the outlaw character and it was somebody that he could get behind because you were so different than other guys that he had at that point? I believe Vince were because he flew me up a couple times. We had a lot of several different meetings. I think somebody got to him down the line of the load that I probably got heat with. <laughs> I guess you know I understand when they talking about got heat with somebody, so... I'd never have found out who it was. I got, I got some good ideas, but karma's a bitch. <laughs> so it'll come back. Now, when you departed from the WWF, was that something, like you said, I know you said you had heat, some heat and stuff, but is it something you really wanted, or did you want to stick in there for a little bit longer? What I really did is what really retired me. I tore a rotator cup in a match. Uh, I don't forgot who I was in the ring with. Brady Boone. Brady? I don't remember. Yeah, I tore a rotator cup, and it—I uh, was, you know, it bled in my arm and down my side here. I was black all the way from my wrist, all the way up to my shoulders from all that blood. I was going to have to have a surgery, and they told me it'd take a year—I mean, six months for the surgery to heal and the joints, all of the, you know, the muscle as they reattach it and stuff. And you're looking at another six-month uh, therapy, so we're looking at a year. I was 41 at the time. I said, you know what? I'll be 42, almost 43 done so i i just and, and you know you didn't hear from me for a long time there i did not face the business like a lot of these guys retire and they hit these indies and all this kind of stuff quit <laughs> I, said, done. I was done for a long time you know as we start to wind it down a bit here i can't I'll go mention your career without stopping and talking a little bit of mid-atlantic obviously you know the world champ there we kind of touched on it before you brass knuckles champ tv champ you're a tag champ what was so special about that Mid-Atlantic territory? Well, Mid-Atlantic, other than New York, was the top was probably the top drawing territory in the country. I mean, uh, you had uh, 
when Dusty left here in Florida, he went up there and become the booker. And uh, uh, the Crockett's at the time with the promotions up there, and they had come through a big area where, and they you talking about some talent at one time. They had, they had some top talent in there, and they were drawing big money in Greensboro and Charlotte and Richmond and all those big towns up there. You know, they got some nice towns there. You know, and they kind of concentrated together, and uh, there was a lot of money there. And then when Dusty went up there and became their booker, and then. They bought out the Atlanta Territory, that big cable network. They went nationwide, and it just got just got crazy then. It was awesome. The Territory, so many great wrestlers. It's unbelievable. And right. about even some of the underrated about guys. about the Andersons, and you talk about Wahoo and Flair. And, oh, yeah, I mean, you, you say Valentine, you know, say Valentine was one of the biggest stars they ever had up there. Greg Valentine's dad. Boy, you, you know, he, he was... He was over like you wouldn't believe. You had Johnny Weaver, Nelson Roll, and, and and so many of these guys are just legends up there. And it was just a great place to be, man. And you know, you got to think about the Ricky Steamboats of the world, the Magnum T. About Steamboat. <laughs> there's another one, man. You talking about the looks and the charisma and the talent in the ring? Uh, he 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 was right up there amongst the best, my friend. Steamboat was a good guy, man. Steamboat was out that one of the greatest ever. And what was it like teaming with your old buddy Black Bart, the Long Rider? <laughs> what was that like? Bart was something else, man. Uh, Bart, just a good old Texas boy, down to earth. He liked his chew. He liked his beard. Just sat in the back seat and said, "Let's go." <laughs> so, uh, anything. I mean. Bart would have gave me his shirt off his back and made for him. And Bart is just, oh, he, he, he is he is the cream of the crop, my friend. You can't forget a guy uh, that you wrestled and, you know, was your man for a bit, J.J. Dillon. What was it like with J.J.? Oh, J.J. J.J., you know, he's been around a lot. He's been around the block, been on the top of the wrestler. Uh, he's been on top as a manager, and he still was involved for a long time afterwards. And, uh, he learned the ins and outs, and uh, and uh, JJ did well for himself. Uh, he, you know, I, I talk to him every now and then, and, and uh, he, JJ's just a good man. You've wrestled in so many great territories, and you had so many great matches. We just named a bunch of great guys, but do you favorite match, or maybe a couple favorite matches you can narrow it down to? Yeah, the uh, we mentioned at the battle of the, the the match of the saddle here in Tampa probably was the best one I I enjoyed from Barry. We did a full hour TV with that one. Don't see that, uh, you know, pretty much ever again. In, uh, Take that back. No, that wasn't the hour TV. We did a long time on the TV. One time, <laughs> talk about Bart. And Bart was was against Barry Wyndham and uh, Mike Rotundo. We did the whole TV show. I thought Bart was going to die. <laughs> 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 that was down here and back then we was at the old sportatorium the, the auditorium itself wasn't air conditioned mid-summer it had to be 100 degrees plus in there Barry and, and Mike were both in good shape so, so yeah. <laughs> it, it took a lot out of us but we, that, we did the whole TV show that night there would you say which is your favorite territory would it be was that your favorite place to work yeah by far Florida was probably the best one for his money and, and the easiest work was Portland. I mean, Portland only only longest town you had was Seattle, and that was only two every every two weeks. And from that, you you drove less than uh, eight hundred nine miles a week to make all your shots. Down here in Florida, you could drive fifteen hundred to two thousand, you know. And so, uh, it, it, you know, Florida was my Florida was best for me for a career wise, but Portland was the easiest one to work. This might be a hard one, but I was just curious because of Black Bart and Stan Hansen, even teaming up with Stan Lane at one point. Do you have a favorite tag partner that you worked with? <laughs> well, let's go back. You know, Stan and Bart, they were later in my career, made money with them. Great career started with a guy way back up in the Tennessee area. Uh, he went as Don Bass. Me and, uh, and Don had a woman manager named Ma Bass. Uh, she was a lady worker named Mae Weston. Oh, my word. You talk about getting in battles and getting into uh, uh, arena fights and feuds with people coming out of the building. It was second to none with that one, buddy. That one really taught me how to take care of myself with fans. But, but Don Bass, me and Don, uh, 
way back and one of the first ones to start, so it's always got a big place in my heart with 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 Donnie. Or you did not or you didn't know about Ron and Don and Ma Bass, huh? Well I knew about Don Bass. I, I didn't remember Ma Bass though. That's that's a good one. Go back and check it out. Her name was Weston. And we were down here with uh in the Pensacola area weather and oh my and we was in the Oklahoma territory weather but oh my word, you talking about a tough old gal and you talking about getting heat woman raised two boys to be that mean <laughs> we had trouble but that was a good one that was a good one what was it like under eddie graham down there in florida super eddie graham was a master of the business master of the business and uh had his demons of course but eddie graham was the master looking back at your career do you have or maybe two favorite opponents that just stick out that, that the chemistry was just off the charts that that's just and that, you know, you just love to recreate. Of course, Barry Wyndham, without a doubt, and Dusty. I mean, uh, I was in the ring with him more than, well, I'll take that back too. Jimmy Snuka up in uh, Portland. I was with him almost every night through 1977. But like I said, again, the favorite in the ring was Barry by far. And, you know, this has been such a great walk down memory lane. We've got to relive some of the great territories you've been in, the feuds and the matches. But when your career ended and the book is forever closed on professional wrestling, when fans look back, what is the legacy of the outlaw Ron Bass? Big Ron will hit the ring. He gave it his all. And uh, he, 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 he took it serious. He left his mark. And that's no better way to end it. And I'm just going to sneak it in right now. I can't believe that I actually got to say Baldy earlier and not get... A nice little shot from Betsy whipped my way to uh, end this interview. So thank you so much for joining us tonight, Mr. Bass. It's been a ton of fun, and uh, we love catching up with you. You're one of our all-time favorites. Thank you, buddy. You guys have a good night. See ya. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.